Hey, podcast listener. Thanks for tuning in this week. Apologies. Zoom was doing something a little bit weird, so our guest has a little bit of a delay on his side. We hope it doesn't make too much of a difference. Enjoy today's episode. I think it's that song, All I Do Is Win, 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 No Matter What. Um, <laughs> DJ Khaled. <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> I love it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bros, Bibles, and Beer. This is Jeff. Episode 157. Tom Brady has done it again. Zach, is love worth the sobs? Andy. I never bet against Brady. Oh, and Kurt Lems? Uh, all kinds of stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Fantastic. Scott's in awesome. <laughs> So Kurt got out in time, Jeff, and then you step all over it by yeah. talking about Scott prematurely. I'll cut that out. Okay, we'll, we'll edit, edit that. that out. Yeah. We'll edit that out. That was a nice one. You hit the post, as they say, Kurt. Yeah, thank you so much for being on. Well, Kurt, there you go. There Kurt, you go. Kurt Willems. Uh, real quick, Scott is not here. Jeff is correct. He is working. He's uh, dialing in the ones and zeros for an undisclosed bank in an undisclosed location. Um, <laughs> so, but it's a bummer. Last so time we had Kurt Willems on episode eighty-six, I think is the number. Don't hold me to that. But it was in July twenty eighteen. And Scott also couldn't make that one in person, but he he Skyped in and joined us. And I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I'll let you jump in, Kurt, and just tell us what you think. But uh, I'm a little disappointed he can't be here because he's kind of the... We, we thrive on debate and or just good conversations where we disagree theologically. And he's kind of our conservative watchdog. He's our angry NT right. That's yeah. who he is. Yeah. And he would have had a ton of good <laughs> questions. I know it. He sent me some notes. <laughs> no, just kidding. He did not send Good. notes. But yeah, welcome. And thanks for coming back on. Yeah. Man, no, I, I'm totally glad. And no, I was looking forward to hearing from Scott. I mean, I thought, you know, it'd be good to hear other, other views. Hopefully he hears this and he can come up with commentary for it later. So, <laughs> Well, if he does, he definitely yeah. will. And then you have Andy here. Andy's on the main screen uh, running all the uh, technology. He's the, the newest member. He wasn't here when you were joined, uh, joined us last time. And then it's me, Zach, and Jeff back at it with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, exciting. Exciting and I, stuff. Glad to be here. Yeah. And we're pretty excited to talk to you uh, about, about your new book, um, which, uh, you know, we'll get to. Echoing Hope. Yes. Um, it admittedly <laughs> didn't read the entire book, but got through. A You're good, not supposed to admit that Jeff. a good chunk of the first of the first section of the book, and it brought up a cool. lot. It, literally, I think at one moment I had uh, tears in my eyes just thinking about something. When you just, and we'll get to that. And I have lots of questions, and I know you know Andy and Zach do as well. But um, I'm just excited that you're on, and we get to talk to you and and. Pick your brain. Yeah. Wow. No, I'm super, super honored that, uh, yeah, you're getting into the material and, uh, you know, it's having an, any kind of effect. I mean, you never know, right? You put this stuff out there and um, it's funny, you do these interviews and I've only done, done like three or four maybe for the book itself at the most so far. Um, and every time it's so fascinating because up until now, like no one's read my book, but like my wife, you know, and a couple of editors. Mm -hmm. So 
So now getting feedback from like, you know, people who don't have to say I'm awesome. Like that's, uh, it's always interesting and, and kind of fun. So and it's coming out in so, yeah. March. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be out in March, March 16th. Um, it's my 14 year wedding anniversary the next day. So I told, told my wife, she's getting a book for her anniversary <laughs> gift. And that's, uh, <laughs> Where we're at, you know, it's pandemic. I can't try anyway. So, right. you know, it's uh, But good news for you, writing books is super lucrative. So you could take her somewhere really special. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I got all kinds of money. It's, it's ridiculous. So yeah, we'll go, we'll go like on a yacht. It'll be cool. So Kurt, for the listener that maybe didn't tune in on the last, uh, the last time that you were on the show, would you kind of give us a breakdown? Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you live, what's your, uh, what's your background and, and maybe even how you uh, got into writing books at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, what a, what a cool thing to ask. Um, so, so yeah, I am Kurt and I started writing online like 10 years ago, something like that. So I had a friend who was like, you should create a blog because cool people have blogs. This is like 2008 or something. The time I was in seminary, I was wrestling with a lot of things about God, scripture, ministry, that kind of thing. And, you know, it just uh, ended up being this thing that I started writing. You know, I just started throwing ideas out there. And after a couple of years of, I mean, I didn't write very much back then, but like after a couple of years started getting some momentum um, and there was an article I wrote and I don't, I might've said this in the first interview with you all, but uh, there was an article I wrote the day Osama bin Laden passed. And I, I just kind of challenged the paradigm of Christians celebrating in the streets, you know, the, uh, the kind of celebration of death and violence, not, <laughs> not debating if he was a good or bad man, clearly a terrible man, but right. the idea that Christians would celebrate the death of anyone. Um, to me, that was tragic. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote, it was like 500 words. I mean, it wasn't like a long article, just some thoughts. And um, yeah, that ended up going viral for me is what I say. Cause it wasn't like viral, viral, but it, it did a pretty good, pretty good work. And yeah. uh, my platform went from fairly, fairly average for someone who was trying to blog to a little above average at, at that month and um, started writing for Pathios at that point. And, you know, throughout all this time, I'm a pastor, I'm in ministry, I'm a young married at that point. And we, uh, yeah, just kept wrestling with ideas and people were resonating with the ideas I was wrestling with. You know, I think early on, it was all about theology and ideas and the brain, you know, and, um, deconstruction is a fancy word some people use these days. Um, but for me, uh, it's really evolved over the years as I've just grown uh, in my own way. Um, really passionate about spiritual formation. I'm really, really passionate about just like, what does it mean for a regular person to follow Jesus? And what, what picture of Jesus have they adopted as they try to do that? So, so for me, that's uh, what I've been doing. And so, after a long time, I mean, I got, I got my first, I had an agent that I, I don't have any longer, but I had an agent like in 2011 to try and get me a book deal. Right. And through a whole kind of, a whole bunch of unfortunate events, I eventually ended up with a second agent and got one book offer that we ended up not taking at that point. And that was like 2012, I think. And I'm so glad we didn't because had I, had I taken that offer, 
I would have put my first book out there as here's everything I've unlearned and relearned. Woo. You know, and I'm just not passionate about that anymore. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't help the world. It's fine. Like if people are like, dude, you used to not be a pacifist and now you're a pacifist. Talk to us about that. Of course I'll have that conversation. That's fun. But like, I don't, I don't know. Here's my book. I I went to seminary. Man, that book would (laughs) have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it would have been a book about how how great I am now because I've learned things or something stupid, you know. And I, I'm just so glad that during my late twenties, I wasn't that I wasn't afforded a better opportunity. To be honest with you, huh. um, so so yeah. Long story short, uh, a couple of years ago, I told Lauren I want to give social media and writing and podcasting. I want to give it one last big push, and privately, I'm going to start coming up with concepts and I'm going to just see where this thing goes. And if after a couple of years, I'm still like writing the cycle of almost an author, almost an author, I'm, I'm just going to not do it for a while. Cause you know, I'm going to invest in our kids. I want to be present to ministry. I don't, I don't want to just keep wondering if I'm ever going to get a chance to do this thing. And so, uh, yeah, I went for it and a couple opportunities opened up, including landing a really, really awesome agent in, uh, you know, I have just amazing. Rochelle is just amazing. Um, and yeah. And so from there, after I landed my, my agent, she started farming out a book on the humanity of Jesus, which got rejected, but Ooh. with like a, Hey, what if you tried a little harder? So it wasn't like they hated it. Right. Uh, but it just wasn't tapping a felt need. And so went back to the drawing board and I was like, why, why does Jesus's humanity matter? And I was like, oh, the world beat the crap out of him. And, and it beats the crap out of me too. Oh, pain. Mm-hmm. Oh, suffer. You know, and it just started evolving into this realization that the human reality of Jesus being with us is the reality of suffering and pain and all the beautiful things that grow out of that space. And so that is how it became this book. And uh, eventually Waterbrook Press, who's part of the, well, Every, every smaller publisher is now part of big, bigger publishers, as I understand right. it. So they're part of the Penguin Random House family or whatever. You know, they, they hit me up with a cool deal and a great, a great, I mean, absolutely great uh, creative partner in, in my um, editor. And yeah, just had a wonderful experience writing this book. You know, in, in your book, I think at the beginning, I don't know if it was in the intro or if it was in... I think it was in the intro. You you say this is a book for everybody, not just Christians, not just believers, but somebody who's not a believer could pick it up and find out who Jesus is. Correct? Hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I uh I have friends that don't follow Jesus and I, I wish they did. I've never coerced them into trying it, but uh, yeah, no, this is a book and that's, that's a new strain, right? Like I, I want to, I want to be the kind of person who can write in a way that someone who's spiritually curious knows enough about Jesus to pick up on some of the lingo, but may not really be all in on the idea. Uh, I want that kind of person to be able to come to things I write and say, this guy intrigues me because of the way he talks about Jesus, you know? So Jesus may intrigue me, you know, like that's, that's kind of, 
part of my posture these days. I, I think that's my posture in preaching. So, so I just want to create on ramps for people wherever they might be. Uh, it's you know, it's definitely a Christian book specifically, but I think. I hope, I haven't heard yet, but I hope that there'll be some non-Christians who check it out. And I kind of give give the nod, like, you may not believe these stories, but right. what if what if you like could glean something from them? You know, what could you, what could you glean from Jesus and his humanity if you stepped into the conversation? Because I think Jesus, whether mythical or real, I happen to think Jesus is very real in every respect the New Testament says. Um, you know, I think Jesus has something to offer everyone. So yeah, there's, that's, uh, there's some, where that comes from. There's something about, um, you brought up idols, like how, you know, we, we can tend to idolize God and, um, or people can, they become believers and then it, God's their idol as opposed to, and I know you'll talk about this more, but in that same vein of, we have figures, and this is about learning about Jesus, but we learn about figures, whether it's sports figures or entertainers and whoever, and then we we follow them, we mimic them. You know, a kid growing up playing basketball would mimic magic or Jordan or, you know, or moving forward to today. But um, there's something in there in learning about Jesus um, and learning the stories mm. about Jesus. And I found that f- fascinating. Um just to to hear like this could be a this could capture more than just the the Christian reader it could it could capture a, a few more that they're curious and they're not believers yet mm. so I liked it mm. thanks for saying that wow wow yeah I will say that yeah I, yeah oh sorry go ahead we got some Skype delay or uh, Zoom delay. Yeah, yeah, no, a little zoom delay, a little popping still. Is that okay on no, your end? No, no the, the audio quality capturing is fine. what you wanted to. Yeah, I think it's just it's we got a little What's bit that? of it. It's just a little bit of a delay. I think there's a delay between you, oh, okay, you and us, but that's all right. We'll muscle through it. Yes, we will. All right, cool, cool. Um, yeah, no, I I was just gonna say the part of what you're talking about is the. Uh, the idea that I present early on in the book is, you know, we, we often over um, or under humanize Jesus. You know, we can't possibly over deify him. You know, as Christians, right. if, we, if we're Trinitarian, which I think most Christians are, um, then it's not really possible to over deify Jesus, right? We, Jesus gets all the glory. I'm all about that. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator, all that good stuff. Amen. But yeah. what we don't often do is uh, we don't often... Um, humanize them, you know? And so that's a big problem. We, we've got a, um, yeah, anyway, we swing two directions. Um, but in one direction, when it comes to his humanity, we really, really underhumanize him, I think, experientially. So that's what I really appreciated about the book. And I, we mentioned it, it's called Echoing Hope, but the subtitle is How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. And I'm really glad you got to to go into the human Jesus, even though you were stifled for a minute there by previous uh, book offer. Um, but yeah, the, the yeah. humanity of Jesus really is something I need right now because um, I'm one of those. Actually, you're. I'll just compliment you on your previous podcasts, which is all. I'm assuming all your stuff is still available on theologycurator.com. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul, Paul it's the same cast. feed. Everything's yeah. there still. Yeah, that's good. The Paul cast and then uh, re- the Revelation one. What was that one called? Re- Rapture, Rapture drill. drill. Yeah, I kind of gave up on that. It yeah. became too too many things, so I, I just kind of stopped it. But it still exists. It's still there. Yeah, it's all good stuff, and it it was super helpful for me at a time where the full deconstruction was was going on. I feel like now I'm I'm always kind of deconstructing and and like mixing and matching and testing everything. Um but at the time it was like mm. kind of like painful. Oh my god, what is happening? Uh I'm I'm in serious trouble here. Everything I thought was right is wrong or uh, you know not knowing what's uh, what's up and down. And the podcast was super helpful understanding Paul better and uh, not r- realizing there's more to the story than just like some of the flat readings, you can kind of think that Paul's an asshole, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe mm-hmm. he, maybe he has issues. We could talk about that uh, later, but, uh, but there's more to the story and you really flesh Paul out in a human way. You, and that was kind of your mission. You, you use the word humanizing. You want to bring things out in a humanizing way mm. that, that, that is respectful, yeah. which I really appreciate. But coming out of all that, the human Jesus is my jam right now because I'm really struggling with the divine part. For most Christians, the divine part is the easy part because it's like, yeah, Jesus is God. And the human yeah. part is where when you talk about Jesus as a human in a real way, a lot of Christians think you're verging on heresy. Uh, but the way you kind of unpack the human Jesus is I really appreciate it. I think people will get a lot out of it no matter where you're at on the spectrum. Um, so well done on that. That was a lot. Sorry. Mm, you can react wow. as you feel appropriate. You no. Think, <laughs> you think autistic people are going to read his book? <laughs> they can listen. I don't know. He, I don't, just, he just said no matter where you're at on the spectrum. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I caught that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Andy. Yeah. I, Sorry, that's see, my that, that just shows you I'm thinking ner- y- yeah, I'm thinking theological spectrum. You're but thinking yeah, you far right too on. whole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're thinking from a much more wholesome perspective than I am. <laughs> I'm here to <laughs> yeah, I'm here to clean up the dirt. Dang, dang. So can That's you funny? Can you tell us? Yeah. Can can you tell us some of the stories of you know in terms of uh, the book? Some of the stories that yeah. kind of fed into telling this this story well that's that's mm. really broad can i can i use that sure and dial it in a little bit maybe i just know some of the stories and i want the listener to hear so you know i want to hear the the uh the depth okay that's that's yeah, that's yeah. good do you have something on that go ahead kurt oh thanks sorry. zach thank I'm you sorry, zach. jeff i repent <laughs> I'm sorry, Kurt. This is well, our first time podcasting. Yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, no, no, no. I'm good. I'm good with both. So I'll take I'll take both of them. Of course, we're, we're here for a while. So whatever. Just say say words, and I'll I'll respond whenever. <laughs> Thank you. Um, on this one, I mean, the thing is, uh, when I came back to this book idea, you know came full circle and was like, look, I want human Jesus, but I don't know what to do with him so that he really makes a difference in a book. You know, I 
found myself just sitting with my own life and my own story. And when I, when I finally realized that pain has been such a big part of my journey, I realized in that, well, an invitation, you know? And so, so the invitation became, what would it look like for, for me with discretion to share some of the things that have been hard, that I've walked through, and then to show readers how Jesus hasn't just magically whisked away all the pain I've suffered, right? Like, like that's, that's what I used to be told. That's the lie, the lie I was told. And it wasn't on purpose, but like there's this myth in Christian thought sometimes and, and Christian culture that, you know, Jesus does this thing where you're not following Jesus. Then you start to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, all the bad stuff from your past is just kind of washed away or fixed or you're, you're put back together. You're made whole. And right. the truth of the matter is, is that that's a long, long process. That is such a long process. And we, we do ourselves and we do others a disservice when we, we assume that, well, now that I have Jesus, I new. feel good, which is true, right? Yeah, I'm new. Right. But and all the pain what do we do gone. with that, right? Um, it, I'm sorry, what was that? And all the pain is gone. Like you're, everything is perfect now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I just didn't, you know, I didn't realize that I was living with that story for most of my life. And then we find ourselves in Seattle. I find myself in the midst of um, noticing that I can't be present to my kid, noticing that my marriage has problems, noticing that I'm just not sure if I'm, got the goods when it comes to church leadership. And, and all of a sudden I start to learn, oh, that whole Jesus thing was what I needed, but there's more Jesus has to show me about my pain, you know? And it's not the, it's gonna go away sometime soon. It's, you no, know, there's, there's another layer here. And then there's gonna be another layer and you're, you're always gonna have scars. Scars aren't gonna disappear, but the wounds can heal and um, you can make meaning out of it. And so, so this is definitely not the kind of book where I give easy answers or, or even try to like over comfort people. I want, I want people to feel comfort, but what I really want to do is help people walk in um, their hurts um, more like Jesus, right? Like I want, I want to help people. I want to coach people to see that if Jesus is the human who models exactly who we are all destined to become, that if we utilize a relationship with Jesus and his resources and his teachings and everything else, that we can actually step into our pains, both in the past and whatever comes as a different kind of person. And um, that's, that became really something that was true for me as I started processing my junk, uh, you know, five, six years ago. And so that sort of uh, experience of my pain in a new way as a not quite middle-aged adult was sort of what led eventually to how I frame Jesus and how I talk about my suffering and all that kind of yeah, stuff. It feels very reflective. I mean, the book feels reflective. Like after every chapter, there are these questions to really think upon your experiences mm. and then use Jesus as that sounding board. And that's kind of what I was getting at is like some of those, like you talk about pain can you talk about a kind of in those first few chapters, 
um, a little bit of the purpose of those first few chapters and a story that you tied in, uh, especially in your younger years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so early on in the book, I, I share a story of abuse and um, this is in chapter one. And basically I won't, I won't frame it how I do in the book. You can read sure. that and check it out. But basically the incident is um, a, a very scary um, fourth, fourth grade memory, you know, and it's still, I, I still remember it very well. And, and what, what ends up happening in that abuse is that as I go to therapy, what I discover is that this story, this incident actually has power over my life in all kinds of ways I didn't know. And so it becomes sort of the, the paradigmatic story of um, Kurt, the child, having to figure out how to be Kurt, the man. And so I don't talk about it in all of those categories in the book, sure. but that's what's coming. Like, that's where this is coming from. It's this process. And, and so um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to show people that uh, there are times when you think Jesus should be present. You want Jesus to be present and Jesus just doesn't seem to show up. And, and so I, I frame the story and I ask, where the heck was Jesus during this? And I just let it linger. I just leave it there. And, and so um, that then gets me sort of rolling. I talk about some other stories, other things that have affected me. And that first section kind of ends with me asking, why does all this bad stuff even happen? Like, how do we even hold this? And of course, there's a billion different ways to answer that question, you know? So, so I'm, not, I'm not trying to like say, here's the way. Here's just Kurt's... You, man, that section of that chapter is maybe 3,000 words or 2,000 words. So here's Kurt's 2,500 word answer to why bad stuff happens. <laughs> and then I'm just like, actually, we don't get to really know why bad, bad stuff happens, but we do know what the Bible says, lament, like feel it, tell God it sucks. And, and that's kind of where that first section ends. And then it moves mostly into the life of Jesus at that point. It's a good so, foundation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one, one thing that had stuck out to me, I think, as I was reading through some of those early chapters was, you know, I, I, we can all pinpoint times in our lives where we've uh, like tragedies have happened and we're asking that question, that question, Jesus, where were you? Why, why weren't, why weren't you here in the mm -hmm. middle of that? And, um, and, oh yeah, no worries. Okay, cool. Anyway. Uh, so he, uh, the question that came to mind for me was um, it always comes back to this, this idea when we, when we um, characterize God as our heavenly father, um, I, I instantly mm. make these uh, comparisons on, on earth. And those comparisons are if I, as a father were in the room, I would step in to change the scenario, I would do whatever I could to prevent this from happening to my child. Mm. And so how can I transfer that, that concept or that idea of God as father, if he's not doing what we feel are the basic things that any father on earth would do in those scenarios. And mm. we can kind of like trans, there's some transference to Jesus in that scenario too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
I mean, I think that's one of the biggest questions that people come to suffering with, right? Like if, if God is really love and if love looks like Jesus and if Jesus prayed to his father and believed the father was a protector, I think that theme is in there, right? I mean, yeah. you don't get the, you don't get the Lord's prayer without believing that Jesus somehow believed God, the father was protective, you right. know, and yet how does God the Father protect Jesus by saying, here's the cup. Are you ready to drink it, son? And Jesus walks the road to the cross. I mean, I, I, I feel on so many levels, I have a two-year-old and a seven-and-a-half-year-old girls, and right. my protective impulse is all over the place, more than I ever thought it would be. And, and it's so, so like fascinating when you, when you think about God and asking the question, why doesn't God step in like I would try to step in? And then I, then I start to think of, there might be scenarios where I want to step in that I actually can't, but I, I would try, but then something might actually make it physically impossible. Um, I might, uh, you know, I might have an injury. I might be tied up. I might, you know, there's all kinds of things you could think of where right. my desire would be to do the right thing towards my children but my ability would be impeded by the choices of others that have created a wall, so to speak, that I couldn't, I couldn't break through based on the limitations of the situation. Now I'm getting philosophical. Here's my point. Here's my point. Um, I think God is always pursuing, always desiring for love, safety, goodness, healing, flourishing, and we have to wrestle with, if that's true, what version of God are we selling when people are in pain? Are we, are we right. bumper sticking, stickering yeah. them? You know, like, are we saying, well, you know, so-and-so died because God um, had a bigger plan. Well, no, God's plan was, I don't want that person to die. But then what does that mean for us? And we, so I think there's just a lot of assumptions that we bring to this conversation that, um, from where I sit, and again, this is my narrow theological perspective, and other people have other ways to deal with this. Um, but I think, you know, these sort of like pain equals purpose equations um, don't get at the heart of God who says, no, 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 like, I want to step in wherever possible with love and care and protection and shalom. And uh, so I think it's really a real challenging question. And so it has to, for me, I have to get at what in the world is going on here? Is it possible that there are factors in our world that prevent God from stepping in where God wants to step in? That's really good. And uh, that comes at a, a section of the book. Can you hear me, Kurt? I can. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Just, are just the tapping of the mic sound, but I'm with you. Okay. I don't think that's going to come through on the recording, but that's, yeah. Technology. But you go through three it, common Christian... Hey, it's all good. Okay. You go through three common Christian assumptions on suffering. And this is after you break down like how many people are in the world and how it's estimated that each person makes 30,000, I don't remember the number, choices per day. So 270,000. Three trillion human choices every day. You have this, uh, mm, yeah, this free will motif that 
people have choice and people have agency. And so you tie that to how suffering happens, but you go over the the three ways, common Christian assumptions, and you flesh them out a little bit, which I really appreciate. Maybe we can do a little bit of that now. You've already kind of touched on it, but the first one was God yeah. controls everything that happens. And as you're, as part of your response, you start it with my view at the moment is the quote that just jumped out at me. My view at the moment. And mm-hmm. I was like, in my head, I'm like high five and you I'm doing like, I, I imagine the the Michael Jordan, the jumping fist pump. That's so iconic. <laughs> I'm like, that is so good. My yeah. view at the moment, maybe you can break that down a little bit. How, how have you developed Wow, having my view at the moment be a thing because so much of everything, well, particularly on social media, but so much of what we're we're just yeah. what we get from people is this is the way it is, and here's my here's my final view, and it's always been my view, and it's never going to change. It's like a version of that, but you got this humble guy Kurt mm-hmm. Willems on the internet writing books. My view at the moment, when it comes to the the nature of of everything, I love that humility, man. Wow, go for it. Wow, what do you got? wow, Ooh. wow. What a that's a that's an amazing compliment. And to be to be quite honest, um, that that's a shift in me. Uh, younger blogger Kurt wasn't that way. I was tear it all down and let me tell you how great it is. You know, the new thing is. And I've just found that it's actually, that rhetoric isn't true to who God has created me to be in relationship with other people, right? So so that's not to say like, this is my opinion. I mean, it's thoroughly my opinion, but it's at the moment because the truth of the matter is, I want to be the kind of person, especially on secondary issues, like who, who is persuadable, like I, I want to remain curious for the rest of my life. I want to be persuadable the rest of my life, uh, and and I personally just think the the way that conversation happens is so toxic and dehumanizing. And so for me, uh, I, I I'm just I'm blown away that you caught that because that's all, like that little catch is that is exactly what's loaded into that phrase. And I try to do that as often as I touch something that's controversial is to say, this is, this is where I'm at, you know? And, and by the way, here are the disclaimers you need in case, you know, this feels edgy because there's moments that feel edgy in the book. Uh, and so, yeah, my view at the moment reflects, I might, you know, this often, this is called open future theology or sometimes open you, theism. Yeah, I don't, I I don't like ask that label, that. but yeah. So, so, you know, this is like, for, for people who aren't familiar with that idea, it's it's basically like the free will argument taken to uh, a biblically evangelical extreme, right? There's other versions, like you could become something called a process theologian and go further and further. I'm not into that zone. So this is, uh, in my opinion, I'm, I'm in a very evangelical lane. I'm an Arminian, but I'm on the, uh, you hate spectrums, right? But the left end of the Arminian spectrum in this topic, right? That That would be the simple way to put something. And the, the the fact of the matter is that I might be wrong about this. I might change my mind five years from now. And so the fact that that's true, uh, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. I don't want to pigeonhole other people into thinking, 
I can't possibly gain anything from the human Jesus if I don't also believe that God's way of relating to our choices looks just like this for these like five pages of the book, you know? And so I wanted to make sure I just gave a lot of outs, not because I wanted to wishy-wash my way through a book, but because I wanted to just be honest and humble about it. And, and, um, when I'm making bold claims, I, I want to make sure that, uh, I've earned the right to make those bold claims by also saying there's some things I can't be quite as bold about. Well, you do a great, jo- you do a great job of, of, having a humble approach, it comes through in the writing, which I don't think is always easy to do. Um, cause words on a page, you're, you're leaving it up to the reader to kind of interpret the tone to a certain degree. Um, mm. I mean, my, the joke I've had with, with Scott and the guys has been, uh, cause I, I very much don't know. So if I write a, wrote a book, it would be a lot of like, I think this, but I, I'm probably wrong which is going to sell zero copies by the way. Um, but you mm-hmm. do it, you do it. That's in a hilarious. Way, yeah. It's a yeah. humble approach and you do it in a way that's like, you, it's still your opinion. There's, it's still biting. There's still plenty, plenty to chew on. It's not pushover or wishy, wishy-washy, but it's incredibly humble. So well done. To yeah. You. Wow. Wow. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Um, I, I, I'm just convinced like, like, cause I, as I think about, a book and, and the audience of a book like this, I think about a local congregation, you know, and a a local congregation is going to have diversity in it, especially in in the age of information. And so is this a book that my conservative family member can read say, I disagree with Kurt quite a few places, but the thrust of the book is so helpful. Or is this a kind of book because I was so ideologically fixated that that person's going to write it off halfway through, you know? And um, I wanted to be the kind of person who says, no, let me invite you because there's a lot more space that is um, common between us than is not. But in the process of that, I'll also be honest about what I think as of this moment and kind of go with that. So um, yeah, trying to dance that line and hopefully it comes through. Also, is my dog coming through? Are you hearing her whine? That's all right. Just barely, but that's okay. You know what? Your what? dog has free will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let her... Hey, she's got all kinds of free will, and it's annoying. Your dog I'm going to let her back in while we keep this going. She's I authentic. You. Your dog... This is an authentic interview, and so... What kind of dog is that, by the way? Uh, she is all kinds of chihuahua, random, rescued her from the pound in Cali dog. So... Okay. Um, she's a sweetheart. We've had her for, man, 12 years now, something. So she's got arthritis and we just keep trying to help her keep going. You oh, know, you've she's, had her for she's 12 sweet. years and you, you do share, man, at the end of the book, mm-hmm. you should, uh, we're, we're jumping around. I was going to, I wanted to talk more about open theism too, but maybe we'll, we'll be all over the yeah, place. No, it's That's good. Fine. Um, yeah, it's good. But it's you cool. share, man, it's, it's first of all, going back to what Jeff said, the first chapter I was reading, I dropped my daughter off at soccer practice and I went and got a beer at a local place and was reading the first chapter and I was just starting to weep. I mean, I was just by myself. I'm Mm, like, please, nobody, nobody look at me, which is good. I mean, usually I have a, I have the ball cap on like I do now. My head's down anyway in my phone. So nobody's going to talk to me, but it's really powerful yeah. that the story you shared wow. about the abuse from your childhood and there's, there's stories sprinkled throughout 
and how you've grown through that through the book. And so I can't recommend it enough, but man, speaking of your dog, your dog, Sadie, wow. that, that passed away, the, sh- the story you shared yeah. about that combined yeah. with your quote unquote uncle and your grandpa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No spoilers. Yeah. These aren't spoilers. <laughs> You'll get there, but you, yeah, I, I, know, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, I guess spoiler, maybe. Those are total spoilers. If anybody's watched it's, a Tarantino it's movie, you, it's you watch a Tarantino movie for the spoilers at the beginning, and then you work your way in this weird timeline, and you love it. So that's yeah. what I consider this. This is the Tarantino <laughs> of Christian podcasts right now. <laughs> Boom. Well, you, Boom. Ma- you mentioned that you got your dog in California, and I think that's the perfect segue to mention that um, you and I share something in common, Kurt. Which is, mm-hmm. we are both originally from the Central Valley. I grew up, yeah. in, I grew up in Bakersfield, yeah. and then I lived in Fresno for my senior year. Oh, no way. What high school did you go to uh, your senior year? Central, which is ironically okay. not yep. in the middle of Fresno at all. <laughs> it's in the center of nothing. Isn't it like super far west? Yeah, yeah, it's it's like the central of the yeah. farmland. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. I've been out there a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, no, we, uh, yeah, I, I grew up in a small town called Dinuba, which is about 45 minutes south of Fresno. And then we we lived in Fresno, college and stuff, um, was married in Fresno, moved to another town called Visalia before we came up to Seattle. So yeah, where Central Valley is like home. We, yeah. we go back there all the time. And so, so you're, in that's, Se- that's fun. you're in Seattle now. And I, I watched, uh, we'll put a, we'll put a link in the show notes to the trailer for your book, but I was watching that and, um, I work for a well-known company that has a lot of the large buildings that are in the background of your, uh, <laughs> I work for Amazon. <laughs> so uh-huh, I'm out there uh-huh. and I'm watching this. I'm yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah for that's, sure. that's my office right there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know where he is. I know where he's standing right now. <laughs> crazy crazy yeah so hmm. i'll hit you up the next time I, that's fun man yeah next time we uh yeah we're allowed to travel for work <laughs> yeah yeah do you get out here quite a bit or what's that like i used to i used to head up there quite a bit yeah pre uh, pre-pandemic right yeah. pre but but uh no we're all we're all locked down for now but i think maybe in the summertime they'll they'll open it back up yeah yeah, man. No, definitely hit me up. I, uh, yeah, I, I have a really great, great friend who's a, a filmmaker and he, uh, offered, he offered to make a trailer an extended film that just came out and, uh, we may do some other stuff together and it's all his creativity and me just saying words um, and him <laughs> pointing like, walk that way, hold this thing. I mean, it's, it's literally all him telling me what to do. It's so good. (laughs) So he makes me look like I'm cool or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, his name's Riley Endicott, by the way, he's got a great YouTube channel on filmmaking, but also on spirituality. So Riley Endicott. He sounds cool stuff. He sounds famous. (laughs) His parents must've known when they named him. They're like, it's, he's destined. Oh yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. <laughs> Riley Endicott of those Endicotts, you know, yeah. like the Fresno Endicotts or whatever. I feel like we hit halftime here. <laughs> it's good. Uh, so I do, I do want to go back pain and suffering. And I want to yeah. ask you the question, have, do we, or does God repurpose our pain and suffering? 
or do we have to be, in your opinion, do we have to be aware and listening? Because you talk about this in your mm. book. Yeah. And how has your yeah, life no, been repurposed? Good. Or has it? Do you see it? Is it evident? Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I would start by saying the way I think about God repurposing pain or uh, redeeming pain uh-huh. would be to start by talking about partnership language, I think. So, so I, don't, I don't think that it's just me rethinking my past and trying to make meaning out of it. Um, I don't think it's just God magically doing that either. I think there's this dynamic partnership that is unique to the Christian tradition. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, you, yeah, that, look, maybe I can put it this way. You can be a non-Christian and do a lot of good work with your past. Totally, You can heal from a whole lot. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Like therapy is for everyone. Um, wisdom is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Love it. But here's the thing. The Christian tradition offers just one more resource that they don't have, right? And so for me, it's like, why would I want to tap into this other additional resource? It just so happens that this resource is the incarnation of God, right? But but for me, it's not like, oh, I've got Jesus and I'm the one who can repurpose, be part of God's repurposing of pain. It's no, all of us can do some of this work uh, I've seen some really healthy people that don't know God, but imagine, I always just start to imagine that same person, if they also had Jesus in their life, like it would blow my mind probably, right? And so so that's part of what, what really um, is beautiful about the Christian faith is that with Jesus, we have this set of spiritual resources, I might say, that guides us into pathways of um, knowing ourselves and knowing our purpose and knowing God that that can take a, a broken childhood wound. And I can personally, I say this in the book in different ways, but like God didn't cause that wound. God didn't want that wound. God hated that thing. But at the same time, God said, okay, I'm so good that I'm going to help walk you through fresh possibilities for your own good and thriving even though this thing has happened to you over here that I never wanted for you. Like that's the catalyst. So when I was a kid, yeah, it's a catalyst. Absolutely. Great, great word. Yeah. And, and as a kid, I, you know, coming out of that scenario and, and a teenager and finally coming to a place where I was pretty, back then I would use language like on fire for the Lord, right? Like I, oh yeah, I didn't quite get that. And you know, on fire, come on now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, man. Do you guys have like a little soundtrack of like some DC talk that we can just like pop in magically? That'd be amazing right here. Um, perfect. Jesus freak. What will people think? <laughs> yeah. If they yeah. find out. I should have just called the book. Yeah. <laughs> Echoing the Jesus freak. Anyway. Okay. So, so, so I guess what I was trying to get at was that um, back then, I think I would have said, God, caused, maybe even indirectly, but basically set me up to be in this situation so that um, God could do something powerful with my life, right? So God, let me be abused all those years so that I would become the kind of person who was compassionate. 
I now would say that God loathed that that was a situation I was born into, but I happen to have been born into it because of this web of free will, both human free will and um, you haven't, we haven't talked about this, but demonic, satanic, you know, whatever, the spiritual realm I think is a part of this. Uh, that was where I landed. And God said, even though you land over here, I'm going to show you that this doesn't get to define you by itself and that you can actually find something redemptive and self and find some self-knowledge along the way that repurposes this kind of the old story, right? Uh, Joseph, what, what they meant for evil, God has used for good. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's just, I, it's not even in the book, that statement, but I think that really captures if framed in that kind of a free will web sort of way, what I think is really going on there. And so did God want me to suffer? No. Did God cause that? No. Did God prevent it? No, Could but God, God is going to do something it? with it in spite of that. You know, maybe not the God. I don't think God could have um, by, by design, not by ability. You know, I think God designed the cosmos for free will. So, so if that's true, God seems to be committed to honoring that sort of arrangement. And so there are times when God can break through all of the free will dynamics there's a hole in the web, so to speak, and God can reach right through and do the most loving, miraculous, healing, saving thing you can imagine. And then there are moments where the web is so thick that the only way for this to go completely God's deeply desired way is that God would have to burst through that web of free will, break a bunch of it apart, and essentially decide that free will no longer has any um, merit to God's world. And that becomes a different world. C.S. Lewis argued this and, you know, without the open theism thing, right? C.S. Lewis just said, look, the, if, you, if you allow God to like fix every broken thing, every sin all the way along, eventually you end up in a world where free will doesn't exist and choice doesn't exist and we're basically robots, yeah, right? right? So right. so God's ability isn't a question. God's commitment to freedom is what seems to be part of why God doesn't always intervene, even though God would want to, if God could, based on that setup. Yeah. I'm curious, because when one of the thoughts as you were speaking and as, as I was reading through some of your book earlier too, uh, the question came to mind, which is, so what is, um, then what is God's role or approach when it, when it comes to justice? Um, if, if we imagine that there, mm. that, that God is, uh, allowing things to happen and, and let's, for the sake of this argument, we can, we can just go with, uh, God instituted free will as such. He designed a system that he, he's agreed to remain hands off when, and allow human free will to occur, uh, it, it, with the exceptions okay. that you kind of have, have outlined, like f with the moments that he reaches yeah. in and, yeah. and modifies things, the web is thin, so to speak. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah. it, it kind of leaves this hanging question, right? Which is God's character is, is described often throughout the Bible as being a God of justice, a, a just God. And, uh, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I, I don't know yet. I'm not far enough. I don't know yet if you, you touch on this in the book, but, it, but it, it, in light of Jesus, you know, being in there in, in the tragedy with you, um, how does that mm -hmm. sync with God's justice 
or, or the, the, the idea that God is a just God, where, do, where does that show up then? Hmm, that's good. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree that, uh, or I definitely personally believe that God is a just God. And the, the paradigm I just keep coming back to is how does justice play itself out for Jesus? Right? God is just. And the just thing to do was to let Jesus go to the cross and experience horrible things, you know? Um, and so, so I start asking questions about, you know, the justice of God being something that um, is usually restorative. There are times when it looks retributive for sure, but for the most part, the biblical picture seems to be restorative. Um, God wants things to be fixed that are broken. That That's kind of the justice system God has in place. Like even if you look at the Torah back in the day, a lot of that was about mending things, not punishing to an end, you know, there were moments, you know, people could get stoned and not, yeah. they didn't have weed back then. So it was a different kind. Right. So, so there was some of that where if it's like, had oh yeah, back that's, then, it might that's have helped retribution. The whole <laughs> <laughs> it probably would have mellowed all kinds of stuff out, you know, um, we're West coasters. So we, we know yes, that we do. I don't well, smoke weed, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> they were stoned. So they didn't mind when they I got pass stoned. on grass. Yeah. Sorry, Kurt. Keep going. Oh my Soldier gosh. on. Yes, yes. I pass on grass every time. Almost every time. <laughs> Fucker, whatever. Okay, so um, I uh, was, I guess what I'm saying is this, that, that Jesus is thoroughly committed. God is thoroughly committed to justice. And right now what that looks like is God has... God is suffering with us through all of our pain, but a day does come, right? So there is this future element to all of this where, where God finally says, okay, that web has done what it's going to do. It's time for resurrection. It's time for judgment. It's time for healing. It's time for restoration. It's time for new creation, right? So, so there does come a point where God does eventually have the final say on the nature of the world but until that comes we 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 kind of live in this tension you know and so so i do think god's justice will come into play at the end um i think corrupt violent bad bad people uh will probably not inherit the kingdom of god at the end right so so there is there's justice to be had um However, the justice we often demand of God or want, man, there are a lot of people in this world who had way more abusive situations than even I had. And here I am making you guys cry. Well, I mean, the truth is compared to other kinds of abuse in the world, I had it decent, you know? And so, so there, like all of our, even our concept of justice is tilted by our context and what we think is right. Right. And what the Bible says is, eventually God will make it right. And so that time isn't yet, you know, it's just not, it's not time yet. And so I lean into the compassion of God, trusting that justice will be whatever God needs it to be at that last day. And if God is agape, then uh, maybe we have some hope for a lot more people than we, we, we wouldn't know, We wouldn't think so yeah. on the surface, but can we dig into um, yeah. maybe a, a human 
Well, Jesus as human, a story in the Gospels. Do it. Where he is, uh, he's doing some upside down type justice, or I don't know if that's the right term, but there's a lot of that going on. The woman caught in adultery. Mm. Well, first of all, let me say this. One of the greatest, and I'm not using greatest uh, as a compliment, it's just like the most ridiculous interpretations I've heard of this was by somebody on Twitter with a decent platform that will not be named saying that Jesus would have stoned the woman caught in adultery. Can you get? Can you guys guess why he said Jesus would have stoned her? This is trivia time. This is no. not rhetorical. Let's let's just see what Dude. you guys got. Putting you on the spot. I'm blown away already. Keep going. So they, oh my gosh. They bring the woman to Jesus uh-uh. and and say, "Hey, she's committed adultery. She's supposed to be stoned." And this guy's interpretation of that story was that Jesus would have stoned her. You guys don't want to try anything? Come on, make this good pod. Just like, throw a stab out there. Why would this? Well, I'm just perversion... like blown away. So <laughs> the only thing I could, I'm sorry. I, I just keep thinking back like marijuana. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, he would have gotten stoned with her. Is that what they're trying to say? Yeah. Is that a typo? Dude. I, I, man. Well, I don't know, man. I mean, I think I can guess like, because that's what she deserved based on the Jewish law or some, I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what you're, where you're going. I'm honestly perplexed. All right. Well, I'll just tell you, Jesus, according to this person would have stoned the woman caught in adultery because he told them, let he who is out sin cast the first stone and Jesus was a, without oh. sin. <laughs> so he would have stoned. Oh my gosh. It's not okay for us to stone her, but, uh, Jesus would have. So that's my that's my entry into a segment that we're now calling Adventures and Missing the Point. Uh, an airplane crashes on the border yeah. of Canada and the United States. Where do you bury the survivors? <laughs> you don't bury survivors. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's that version. That's yeah. what he just did. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, the, the woman gosh. the woman caught in adultery. Wow. Let's let's break that down a little bit because I I love the the stories you have about Jesus aren't just taking the text you you're relying on a lot of your schooling and the scholarship and where you can go you can access sources that aren't just the text to kind of flesh stuff out and um but the the woman why do we get into the woman at the well i know i distracted myself with my story but we were you brought it up you're, i know i brought it up you're responsible for this i know i am <laughs> But let's just talk about that. So I think it was Jesus doing things. Oh, yeah, the upside down justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were technically correct. They were theologically correct. But Jesus says, there's a, there's a, you're missing something, guys. And the gospel, according to Kurt Willems in this moment, is what, Kurt? Oh gosh! Did you see Shane Claiborne's endorsement? Is that where that line came from? Because that's no. <laughs> well, I saw that he endorsed it, but actually, no. That it might be subconscious, but that's I wasn't literally his that. like first or second line. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah, really? you go, wow. You should have finished with. Uh, I'll this is the gospel according to Kurt Willems. <laughs> Boom. That's that, funny. Wow, that that is funny. Actually, 
Well, actually, so lot, weird random side story, like way distracting. That's fine. Shane sent me his first endorsement and it said, this is the gospel of Kurt Willems. And I was like, I don't know what you mean by that. It could sound all kinds of different ways. <laughs> and I was like, do you mean like, because it's about my, about my story. And so it's like my gospel, but it's about Jesus. And he goes, no, man, I wasn't trying to go that deep. I just meant it's a gospel telling about Jesus. Like you're the fifth writer of a gospel. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh. What so he just wrote according to you and it all made sense. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> fun little story. I can hear so, it in Southern drawl too. So it's, it's, uh, it's all the better. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Shane, Shane's a good dude. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot that we see in this story. One of the big points that has had a huge impact on me, and this isn't original to me. Huh, I, uh, I give credit because it's so good. Well, I give credit because I don't want to get sued, but also because it's so good, you know, um, and, and there's this excellent preacher named Mike Pilavachi out of England that I've just always admired. And I heard him teach on this text, you know, 15 years ago. And he basically said, this isn't a story about the woman caught in adultery. This is a story about the men caught with stones in their hands. And we've got to figure out who we've got to place the emphasis on in this story. That melted my and face a little bit. And that just opened it up in too. such a... It melted yeah. my face a little bit. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? That. Yeah. 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 Now, I, I think, honestly, like it's probably one of the coolest things I've ever heard because this story is all about men flexing muscle to trap Jesus, right? Um, they are, in some sense, legally doing what they could do, but they've clearly gone out of their way to do it. You know, you don't just like walk around and think, Hey, I heard a rumor that someone's committing adultery over there. We should go snag her because the truth is there's prostitutes everywhere. This is the Roman empire days. Like, it's not like everything's clean and happy, you know? I know I've um, seen so, Game of Thrones. So I know what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's a thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I think what what's beautiful about the story and, you know, some people are some theology nerds are like, it doesn't belong in there. It's an added text. It's not a real authentic story. Um, I think that's malarkey, actually. I just think it's in the wrong place in the Gospels, but that's a different story. So I happen to think it's authentic to Jesus. Um, and and really what I think is going on here is Jesus is showing us that there was a way of doing justice, and now there's a different way. I mean, I think that's the big paradigm shift here. There was a way of doing justice. We, and in the Torah, again, the Torah community, it was about limiting ramifications of not doing justice, right? So if someone pokes out your eye, you poke out their eye. And, and now we can say, okay, this is fair enough. You know, We're not going to let this thing keep escalating. But what do you do? when it does escalate, right? And that's what goes wrong often in Torah-based culture, I think. And Jesus steps into that culture and says, you're abusing the whole point of these, these commands. And then he also doesn't just say you're abusing the point. He actually goes so far to show us that this was fine for a season. That season has ended. We don't, we don't carry out so-called justice like this anymore. Mercy trumps judgment. And, and I think uh, there's all kinds of really real world ramifications for this. I footnote uh, a source or two that I think really make the compelling case that when Jesus has 
these men drop their their rocks and <laughs> that sounds kind of weird um <laughs> you know but when when jesus has them drop the stones you know like not better it's, it's, not it's in that moment <laughs> when when the object's capable of impaling <laughs> there's no way not around better, it now still not better that's our isolated <laughs> quote right there yep 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 so so when that takes place what actually is happening well i think some ancient theologians are right and i think jesus clearly is right here that Jesus is saying, we don't do justice this way anymore. The way of Jesus is mercy. The way of Jesus is you don't just forgive someone seven times because that makes you feel like you're a good enough person. You're giving them a few chances. They still screw up. Goodbye. Jesus says, now multiply that a little bit. It's more like 77 times. Um, Jesus says, you want vengeance. My way is mercy. And so some could say this is the end of the death penalty, at least for Christians. Some could say that this is the end of patriarchy. I think it's certainly that, that any situation that has any air of men are superior or should have a higher footing than women. I think this story rules that out very clearly. So, so there's all kinds of crazy cultural things that are relevant here. But what's really, I think, masterful about Jesus in this story is he models how we can step into conflict and invite people to see the error of their way. And that to me is what's powerful, the power of helping others find forgiveness for enemies, helping others find the release of bitterness and um, ongoing feuds, you know? And, and that to me would reshape, if, if this chapter's content, not because I wrote it, but because of what Jesus does here, like if this chapter's content became something that every Christian in the United States took deeply to heart, it would reshape our entire society and it would reshape the church and the church would be compelling because we'd be known for who we love and how we love instead of who we condemn and who we think is out. And that's not soft liberal stuff. That's Jesus for century totally. stuff. But And so yeah. I, I just think it's a beautiful story. That, that And that's good timing. I, I think it's especially in the U S today, like we, I think we're hearing we're hearing words that seem to describe uh, that idea, but it, it seems to not necessarily line up with actions that are occurring. And so, like what you what you've described yeah. there, what you've called out is, hey, this is uh, maybe uh, could couldn't be more relevant in this in this time and moment as we've got people who may or may not feel like we're trying to get to this place. Like we're, we, we have this like internal longing or sense that, that this is where we need to go and we just don't know how to get there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And all the while Jesus has been showing us how to get there for a couple thousand years for a minute, it's weird, right? A minute or two. Jesus yeah. has been doing that. <laughs> um, I, I have enough. So I have a, uh, another missing the point thing. And then we can move on from the story, but it, yeah. it is so powerful. But I, I've got a couple friends where we're, when I've brought up this story and similar aspects of like d rediscovering this story post deconstruction, for lack of a better term, um, mm -hmm. and just seeing seeing the heart of Jesus at work there. But there's there's that tagline at the end that 
I wish wasn't there because I feel like it's being misused, but maybe you can correct me or expand upon it. When Jesus tells mm-hmm. her, go and sin no more. I've got friends that that is the point of the story is that like, no, she, she, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were wrong over there, but now she's got to go be perfect basically. So what's wrong with that? If there mm-hmm. is anything wrong with that. And if, if not, you can critique That's a good me. question. Oh, dude, that's good. I, I think we've misused that verse without a doubt. And I, I have huge empathy for people, especially women who have heard that in such a negative way. Uh, I, I think, and I, I actually have the chapter up, so I paraphrase that. It's basically, go have a life without all the baggage you carry as a result of your choices. Hmm. Like, like Jesus is inviting her to freedom. Not like, hey, quit being bad, but... More so, hey, clearly going from one, probably in some form at least, abusive man to another, to another. Like Jesus is saying, like, don't do that. You, you have so many other possibilities in front of you. Go live free. Go live liberated. Um, and I think, I think that framework, so it's not like Jesus is, on the one hand, like is saying, you know, adultery is okay. But on the other right. hand, Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to focus on the thing you do wrong. You know, Jesus is saying, don't sin any longer because your, your freedom is wrapped up in choosing a better way. It's the same reason Jesus tells anyone not to sin any longer, right? In, in the first century, there's another chapter in there where he, he weeps to the point of being frustrated that people aren't going the way of peace, right? So, so for Jesus, go and sin no more has to mean Go and follow the way that is going to bring more of your humanity out, more of the life you're designed for out, and not less. And and to me, that's a liberation word. Man, that's so good. So, how are we doing on time? Uh, we've been going for a little over an hour for Dude, you. Dude, I'm I'm chill. My kids are in bed. It's whatever. Okay, nice, <laughs> nice. I was waiting. So, I don't remember if this is on the podcast, but. You, you said you had done baths and stuff like that. So I was waiting for you to say, I got to give my kid another bath. I got to go. But I'm thankful yeah. that that's not <laughs> the case. <laughs> but uh, I'm good. I have a quote um, from the book that you quote Miroslav, Miroslav Volf, which if he didn't have a small mm-hmm. group dedicated to discussing theology called the Volf Pack, um, he's losing. He's <laughs> oh, losing dude. at life. <laughs> Bro, bro, his, imagine the band, like the college band playing his anthem. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Wolfpack. Dude, the Wolfpack. Uh, um, so this ties in. Andy asked about justice and this, this quote, I'm still marinating on it. I like, honestly, I, I, I think it may require me to have a little bit of cannabis and to really meditate on it. But he says, <laughs> dude, this is not what wow. Kurt says. This is not what Andy or Jeff says. That's what Zach said. All right. Every act of forgiveness enthrones justice. Forgiveness draws attention to justice violation precisely by offering to forego its cr- its claims. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, that's fire. It, yeah, and I I still it's it's like my I got it but I don't got it. It's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so Anybody? here's what's so it's crazy, right? I had to put brackets in because this quote, like, I had to make sure I understood it because I, I read it at first, you know, in the context of the work. I think it's one of his books. I've read multiple of his books, but uh, 
And, and I remember reading this and thinking, I think I get what he's saying and it sounds really important, but do I really get it? <laughs> right. And the quote actually, if I remember right, um, I put the words forgiveness and justice in brackets, yeah, but it actually did. is even more heavy to consume. It's every act of forgiveness enthrones justice. It draws attention to its violation precisely. <laughs> Wow. So then you're like, what is it and it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, I've done you a little bit of, a little bit of help there, but here's yeah, what yeah. I, I take from this is that when, when someone authentically goes to another party and forgives them for something they've done wrong, they are literally calling out the wrong in the moment. They're not hiding the wrong. If it's, if it's true forgiveness, if it's true stepping towards the other, um, it's, it's the person who says, you murdered a member of my family and I release you to go in peace, right? I release you from my bitterness at least, right? And, and, and in doing that kind of forgiveness, you're, you're highlighting the fact that, hey, I should want to kill you. I should because you killed my brother. I should want to kill you. That gets it even, right? And, and what Wolf, I think, brilliantly says is like, forgiveness says, I have the right to want you dead, but I'm foregoing the claims of what justice demands here, more blood, by saying that instead of that, I'm simply going to name that what you did was wrong and I'm going to forgive you anyway. I'm going to walk away from this. I, I, I think that's very, I mean, obviously Wolf is drawing from Jesus, right? But it's like, you're... The act of forgiveness doesn't hide justice. It enthrones yeah. it by foregoing its claims. Like that's crazy talk, yeah. but that's the way of Jesus. Jesus is all about crazy talk, you know? So um, yeah, it's heavy stuff. No do, doubt. Do you think that, that forgiveness, well, I think, I, I think I, know, I have an opinion about this, but uh, while you were describing that, there was something I've seen posted around a lot lately. And, I can't remember what all the steps were, but I remember that the first step was repentance and the last step was reconciliation. And, um, and it, mm. this is just getting, it's kind of getting blasted and copied in a lot of places. But, um, yeah. but yeah. what you just described there, I, I'm, I, it had me thinking about the relationship between forgiveness and reconciliation. Because something that, that stuck out to me when I was reading this, and forgive me, I mean, it was alliterative. There's like, four R's involved. Mm -hmm. At least I got the first and last ones. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's okay. And those are the two that You're I good? actually reacted. Yeah. I reacted to, to those two the most. <laughs> um, and, and frankly it was, it was that this is like one from one party to another sort of demanding repentance amongst these other steps before we could get to re reconciliation. And that seems, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that seems at some level um, to be, in opposition to what you just described. So, so if forgiveness is mm. really the, the person wronged kind of, uh, stepping forward and proactively, like they are the pursuer in some ways and saying, I'm, I am proactively forgiving you, not requiring you being repentant even right. The, the act of forgiveness doesn't require mm. the, the other party to be repentant. Does, mm -hmm. does that right, still right. lead to, do you think that still leads to reconciliation? Yeah, I, I would make a big distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. Yeah, Absolutely. Too. 
Because I, 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 I think, I think forgiveness is the vulnerable choice a person who is wronged makes, partially for their own freedom, their own sort of release of bitterness. Um, reconciliation requires, I do believe, the the other party to repent, and that that the justice that's being enthroned by the forgiver must also be enthroned by the violator for reconciliation to be possible. I, I don't believe, for instance, a uh, person I talk about from my childhood, I have forgiven him. We are not reconciled yeah. and nor will we ever be. And I don't know that I want to be yeah. unless there's some like compelling Holy Spirit moment that's just clearly drawn me towards that end. That, that's just not what I've sensed my calling with him is. But um, I no longer want him to suffer. I want him to thrive. I want him to flourish. I want him to become the best human Jesus can help him become, you know? So, so forgiveness is a much, uh, a much, it's, it's related to reconciliation um, insofar that it's the first step towards someone else. You know, Wolf, and this is not in the book at all, but Wolf, I think, would talk about how in reconciliation, you, you kind of open your arms up and you're vulnerable to both being hit again and an embrace. This is in his book, Exclusion and Embrace. And, and so the act of forgiveness is that sort of open-handed, like, here I am, I'm willing to embrace you. But the other party has to go through their own process to be worthy of that embrace in a real way, for it to actually be authentic, right. mutual reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, so do you so think I think that's important to kind of highlight. Do you think God always wants reconciliation? Mm -hmm. I, yes, I do. I, I mean, at least in the end. Yeah. But I don't think God's... I, I don't think so. For instance, uh, a wife divorces her husband because he beats her. Um, I don't recommend reconciliation in that situation. Yeah. Not very often. Like, like it could, maybe, like it would have to be a radical turnaround for the abuser after sure. years, possibly, of demonstrating a total different demeanor towards the world and towards um, people before any kind of reconciliation would be appropriate. So, so I, I don't think like God is just like, oh man, this broke. Okay. I hope it all gets better. Let's reconcile. Let's fix this. You know, God's not a nine on the Enneagram, you know, God, <laughs> that's really <laughs> insulting to nines. I'm sorry, Shots but you get the here. idea, right? Like Shots God's fired. not just like trying to blow. Right wow. Sorry. Nine. So what is, God? well, there's no, We'll have I a, thought God was like the healthiest of nines. We'll have a pro. We'll have a pro nine uh, guest on next week, nines. So, so you can tune in. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you just yeah. sloth around the house? Yeah, I just took it, took a shot. Come at me. <laughs> that's never. Um, no, I mean that's the thing, right? Like, like God, God's not like so needy of reconciliation and things to feel happy. You know, God, God wants actual reconciliation, which looks like justice enthroned and mutuality and all of that, which is why. Ultimately, for all all the reconciliation God desires, it's going to take a resurrection. You know that that's what it's going to require. It's going to take a cosmic resurrection and judgment. And when that day comes, um, things will be made right. I have no doubt about it. Well, no, I do have doubts about it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, dude, I got I got so many like doubts a doubting about Thomas. It. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned doubting Thomas a bunch. 
Uh, are there like, okay, so uh, full yeah. disclosure, I, I'm a guy that doesn't like labels, um, but I recognize that... Even though you label people. We could label they, you as a guy who doesn't like labels. <laughs> yes, you could. And they're helpful sometimes. Um, so I, I don't want to, well, I don't want to label myself because I don't want my identity be, to be tied to a label. And I've experienced really painful sure. deconstruction because of previous labels I put on myself. Hmm. Um that my identity was in. Thank you for touching my shoulder, Jeff. Your hands are warm. That's very cute. But if I were like right now, my faith is like, I got one foot in very agnostic territory and one foot where it's like, if God is, is love, it's like, I, it's hard for me not to be a universalist. Uh, well, a Mm -hmm. Christian universalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that I, I recognize that means a whole bunch of things to a whole bunch of people. Um, but I feel like we get little tastes yeah. of it with verses like not forget about don't get distracted by universalists, but we get tastes of the reconciliation versus forgiveness, and I have a hunch that the reconciliation mm-hmm. not happening is of our own doing. In verses like uh, uh, Paul talking about um, oh shoot uh, oh. It, Enemy, we were enemies with God in our own, in your, you were enemies with God in your own mind. And while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Like there's this, like Jesus did these things in spite of the things that are holding you back from God. You even get a taste in, in Genesis where they're hiding from God and God, I used to read God being like, where are you guys? I used to read that as like God hunting Adam and Eve down for the wrong they did, but they Where were. Where are you? Exactly. I'll find you. <laughs> I'll when find I do. You. <laughs> but, Dude. but the Adam and Eve, it's clear there's another way to read it, which is they're totally ashamed. Yeah. And God, God's pursuing them in spite of their shame. Yep. And so I, I see enough of that in the scriptures that gives me hope that the forgiveness is there. The forgiveness is you don't need a substitute. You know, God doesn't need a substitute in order for, to forgive. Otherwise, it wouldn't be forgiveness. But from humans' perspective, I feel like there's a lot of like, if there's separation, it's because of where you're at personally. And I know that's that's heretical in some circles, but that's kind of where I'm at now. And what do you think about that, Kurt? Can you clarify the question? I I got the oh, context. Just help me understand what there you're was, asking. That was yeah. word salad upon <laughs> word salad. It's it's like um, the the forgiveness versus reconciliation. Um, mm-hmm. It God can forgive, but the reconciliation is not there. Not because God is withholding, but it's because of our shame and our guilt, and that t- taps into kind of mm-hmm. how you mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. you define shalom, which we haven't talked about, which is great, and sin being what breaks shalom, and that's mostly on our part. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. 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 No, I, so I think forgiveness is like uber available. Like that, that to me is is something I, I definitely resonate. Like when I look at the God of the Bible, I, I have no doubt that there is so much pursuit. God's love is pursuing every, every molecule in the cosmos. That, that is like a foundational understanding that I bring. And yet 
I think God's commitment to free will means that some don't, well, put aside those people who don't know of God, right? Right. Put, put them into a different category. That's a different thing. But people who are in a place where they actively choose to reject that ongoing reconciling relationship, which by the way, it's not a transaction. It's a, re- it's a relational word, right? So it's an ongoing reality right. if it's, if it's um, real, right. you know? So, so it's not like, Hey, I think I do want to be reconciled. So I'm going to get baptized and I'm reconciled like right. sort of, but it's, it's a life of being reconciled, you know? Um, and so, so in my mind, um, it really does come down to, and now if we think about like the end or whatever, cause that come that's come up a couple of times, you know, for me, I think a lot more people than we would expect are going to choose reconciliation on the last day. Um, and then I think there's some people whose characters are, maybe I'll put it this way. And I, I think I get this from Dallas Willard or someone, but, but the character we develop in this life, I think moves us into the next life with that same set of character. So if I'm bent against the idea of a creator who loves me in the next life or the resurrection or the final judgment, whatever, whatever language we use for that end event, um, I think people will exist who would rather be God themselves. And I think God will say, that's, if that's what you're choosing, my forgiveness was always here. And yet you don't want, you don't want relationship. So that's fine. And, you know, I think that's, that's where, yeah, I'm more of a conditionalist. So I think just life ceases at that point for those people. Mm. Um, I do not know of a God who tortures people forever and ever. I, I, that's nowhere in my theology. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the reconciliation part is, um, although initiated by God's forgiveness is definitely, definitely a partnership invitation. And so we've got to take God up on that in some way. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Those are random rants at eight forty-five at night, but I, <laughs> you know, That's great. um, I, I think God's, God's pretty darn generous as, as I did hear Willard say one, one place in one of his books, I think he said something to the effect of, um, if God can find any basis to save someone, God will, but that's not enough. <laughs> like follow Jesus, like know Jesus, enter the kingdom, you know? So like God's, God's as generous as possible, you know? And that should give us a lot of comfort, but, um, but yeah, I do think, yeah, I wouldn't go all the way to the universal reconciliation place. I just because of how I read a few texts, but I think there's sprinklings of that possible on the re- the day of resurrection for some. Yeah. Well, I will take that as a victory for me. You know, <laughs> consider that me planting a seed in your mind, and eventually, you know, you you did say where I'm at right oh, now. Bro. So <laughs> maybe. Oh, dude, dude, dude! Look at you! Look at you! But You're funny. I like it. I am. You, one of the things we'll we'll just do a couple mm. more minutes, and then obviously you can bug out whenever you need to. But we'll a couple more minutes. We're landing. Oh, dude, I'm having fun. It's cool. Okay, Whatever good. you want. Um, you attach you attach the the phrase image bearer constantly throughout the book to people, which I think is a super helpful mm-hmm. reminder because it's it's the type of people that you mentioned in your blog post that went viral ish uh, about Osama bin Laden. Like that's the type of person you would you would tack image bearer onto that. Like, how does that? Yeah. How have you gotten there? Especially given through you've been 
given that you've been through so much. Uh, because I think that's super helpful because we, we are in an age of dehumanization mm. everywhere. Uh, and it happens subtly and I constantly have to battle it because there's tons of people that I want to hate, but good job. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> good job. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think, I think that's the, the foundational paradigm Two, two things that I think I didn't get enough of understanding growing up when it comes to Christianity are the nature and goodness of humankind and the nature of God's love for creation. I think those two things I, I just really missed. And, and so um, I didn't grow up thinking about people in terms of image bearer, you know, and we might talk about the image of God and then we'd have a little conversation like, do you still have the image of God if you're not a Christian? What does that mean? You know, yeah. these little pithy debates. Um, where I've landed, honestly, is that every human being is an image bearer. I, I don't think there's ever a point in the, the Bible where it seems like that's revoked. You know, God doesn't say, thou that was made in, you know, unto my image is no longer or something, you know, like it's just not in there. So, that was appropriate. Um, yeah. So, so, and then you get to the New Testament and in multiple places, it's very clear that the writers are trying to help us understand that Jesus is the image of God, right? Which has a double-edged sword in a couple of passages, I think maybe in Colossians, where it's like, you, this is the perfect image of God, meaning when you look at Jesus, you see God, but then in the same slice, it's also kind of saying, this is the... Um, the image of God that I had in mind from the beginning. This is the one who reflects God's love um, at, at, at the level of like, this is my role in the world, right? Being an image bearer is simply a, it's an identity and it's a vocation. And so, so for me, um, I think that's really central to how we address enemies, but also how we address our own formation. Becoming more like Jesus means becoming more of the image bearer I was designed to be. And that means essentially becoming more human. And that always sounds like humanistic mumbo jumbo to some people, but the Christian vision is that we become more human, not less. And if we can get that, then we can start empathizing, or not empathizing, we can understand why Jesus is empathizing with us as a human really, really takes shape in our formation. Because um, Jesus is the human we all are designed to become. It will take us a resurrection to get there. But a day is coming when we will be that kind of human. And um, because of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we can start that process now. We can experience that humanizing power of love now. And so that, to me, is uh, where I want to start and then step into hard things and hard conversations and people that maybe I don't naturally like saying this person has eternal value because they are an image bearer too, even if they don't do the job or vocation half of it too well. There's so many challenges yeah. in that because we get stuck in our mind of just mm. of forgiveness and the wrongs that have been done to us and and challenges that we come across and, and coming to a crossroads of like, no, I got to go this way because, you know, it's going to get X, Y, and Z done or it's going to be the easier route as opposed to, mm. you know, forgiving someone or reconciling. There's... Yeah, the idea of spiritual formation and following Christ and being more like Christ is such 
it's easier said than done by a long shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's constantly mm. challenging. Wow. 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 You're, you're, you're nailing it. It is, it is such a, but I'm having so much difficulty with it. The, the road is hard. Absolutely. Huh? Absolutely. No, it, the, it's the, it's, it's, I'm, I, I, I think we all have so much difficulty with it, with speak for yourself, Jeff, keep going. Yeah. The, the choose the, cause we have free will and that free will drives us sometimes in the wrong direction. All the while we think we're going in the right direction. Like I know mm-hmm. this is what God wants for me or for my family or for, you know, my job or for this company or whatever. And, and all the while we might be stepping on people and not even know it or thinking, I mean, we just, in our own minds, we reason why it's right. And I mean, that's the whole point of why I say I have difficulty with, and I would guess that most do in the decisions, like you said, how many trillions of decisions do humans make or do we make? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We just get caught up in our own minds. It is so challenging to live this life and to follow Christ and go down a path of just perfection, impossible. Only one could Mm -hmm. do it. So uh, I, yeah, I mean the, your, your story, the book, the, how you like, God's repurposing, you know, pain and and driving you to something better and picking up the broken pieces in all of our lives and using yeah. that as the catalyst. I get so um enthusiastic and pumped up about that idea. Um but but it is hard to continue to keep choosing to allow God to shape us. Do you find yeah, it is. Do you find yeah, that easy? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, the journey, the journey with Jesus is hard. You know, we've got all kinds of different barriers that um, besides just the normal circumstances of life that keep us tired and out, out of the flow. You know, not everyone can wake up at 5 a.m. and have an hour of disciplines that they're implementing, you know, oh, Bible, whatever so prayer, guilty now. meditation. And and what? <laughs> I feel it's just, it's just that idea of like, I've had friends who are like, oh yeah, I wake up at 5 a.m. Like you're saying. And I, I, I'm like, gosh, darn it. I, I, sorry, I suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. I look, and, and, and that's the, that's part of that paradigm that, that really has to shift from, do I, you know, for some people that, patterned life, you know, having a rule of life or whatever is really helpful. And, and honestly, for me, when I'm at my best, I probably have some of those patterns in my life and it's not always, I can't always do it, but, um, I don't think it's, uh, I, I think that it's about the journey. You know, one of the things I say, and you haven't gotten this far, but the epilogue, so the end of the book, um, I get, it's just like two pages. And I basically say, look, I'm just trying to do everything that I do and trying to acknowledge that Jesus is doing it with me. That has been probably the greatest shift. So when I'm playing outside and I'm pushing my kid on the swing, I'm noticing Jesus help, you know, being in the moment with me. Um, when I'm hanging out with my buddies over a beer, 
I'm noticing Jesus is drinking a beer with us. You know, like, like I'm trying, so, so I'm trying to bring Jesus into the normal um, because I don't always get to have those, those uh, mountaintop sorts of before dawn experiences that some people who are more disciplined than I am get to have. And so, so I, and, and then you add all of the pain and brokenness and stuff and questions and doubts and all the stuff that we bring to Jesus already. And it can be hard. Uh, but what I continue to find is, is that if, if we can get to that place where instead of fully re, you know, regressing and giving up on the journey that we step in and lean in just a little bit, that God is gracious and will step in with us even in subtle, unexpected ways. Totally. And so I, I still believe that. I still want to em- embrace that, that there is a God who um, steps in with me even when I, I don't even know where that step's going to lead me. And that sounds super cliche, but some of the things that I used to think were a bit cliche become highly experiential in, the, in recent years. And I think there's a softening that that is uh, required. And, and I'm not very far into that process, but I, I do want to say that for some of us, there comes a time when if we're open, God starts to just soften yes. us a little bit yes. so that we're just a little bit more pliable, a little bit more available, a little bit more open. And, and I've found that in that, that soft, I don't know if, there, if there's another word, that tenderness, it's something in me has shifted that just like, okay, it's a connectedness. I, I just want to be here and available and connect. Yeah. And there can be like, the danger is, I know some people where it's like they, they they dial in there. Okay, this is my Jesus time, and then the rest of the day it's like, okay, where's Jesus in the rest of your day? I don't see a lot of that. And um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the yeah, the danger yeah. is like you have this. Okay, I'm I'm so I got this approach. This is the way you do it, and then you compartmentalize it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like for a lot of people, worship is when you're singing songs on Sunday morning at church as opposed to like mm. basically worshiping for me, it's, it's mm. the idea of it is more like, well, as you put it to be human, to be human, like Jesus, to know, yeah, to fully embrace mm. who you are. I don't remember if it's Brug- Walter Brueggemann or I don't, I don't remember exactly who, but the idea of the trees or nature just being exactly what they are without any regard to shame or measuring up to the other trees or anything like that. That idea of fully embracing that and knowing that, and that's just sprinkled throughout your day, no matter what you're doing. It doesn't have to be a church thing. It can be like Hmm. you're, like you said, going, going for a beer with a friend or reading a book or whatever you're doing. It's just kind of like this, maybe it's Shalom, Kurt. Is that what it is? Is that Shalom? I, it, it 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 definitely is in in some way shape or form right it's it's an increasing capacity for shalom you know shalom I, we haven't really said this explicitly and i know we're getting close to time but it's uh, about having right relationships with god with others with creation and with yourself and um you know as you increase your own self-awareness and god awareness i think you're absolutely right that there's this flexibility into the spiritual life I would say though that for some people, I, I know some very spiritual people that structure is their freedom. That structure right. is their liberation. In fact, I would say there are season seasons in my life where it's the structure that brings the freedom I so desire. 
that does leak into the rest of my day. Um, I think what a lot of us maybe react against is the, I have a quiet time and now I'm a good Christian person. Let's talk about my devotional. I just did together. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. some of that youth groupy resi residual gunk that's on a lot of these conversations. But um, I think a lot, I think there's a lot of people who, who do need that hour every morning, but, but they, they have the right tools and they have the right framework for what, what they're actually trying to do there. And they're not trying to appease God. They're not trying to become more spiritual because right. they do these things, but yeah. they're just opening themselves up to a beautiful God who loves them. And uh, hopefully that love carries them through the next 24 hours, you know, in a way that is tangible. And so, um, no, I, I really appreciate these reflections. I, uh, the Christian life is hard and, and pain doesn't help, but somehow Jesus shows us that even where there's pain, it's possible. There is you know, great, that's, uh, gosh, that's what I want to cling to. Darn joy in the difficulty, the challenges of living this life. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, if it wasn't difficult, there would be no joy in it. That's right. That's right. At least not how we understand joy, right? Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. 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 We would. I mean, we, we would view joy uh, differently. Yeah. That's for yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose, yeah, you know, we could all speculate, okay, if, if there is really this renewed creation coming, um, will we still have jobs to do? I sure hope so. I sure hope I don't just fiddle around all day. I want to, I want to, I want to yeah. sweat a little bit. I want to, I want to have some fun, but I want to, I want to work. I want to type. I want to do some, I want to sit at a desk and write books, you know? <laughs> Amen. Well, you know, Kurt, man, the, the whole book is, your thriving comes through suffering. And that's certainly what I've experienced. Mm. And you don't want that to be the case, but when you gain a little bit of wisdom, you know, I've experienced some of the worst suffering uh, a parent could imagine, which has catapulted me into a lot of these, the some of the deconstruction and where mm. I'm at now. Uh, yeah. But you don't, you don't wish it on anybody, but also you recognize that, you know, I, I have new gifts that wouldn't have happened otherwise, and it doesn't right. it doesn't right. fix the other thing. But it's it's not this zero sum game. It's a it's this holding everything in tension and learning and growing from it. And I'm I'm certainly better for it. I think, and I know that you are from reading the book and talking to you a couple times. Uh, okay, I've I've stream a thought here. Yeah. Um. I. I Recently, my wife would, I don't know what she, how she would respond to this, but I thought um, of, of like a past, this is awful, a past a girlfriend I had way back. And I thought life probably would have been a lot more, it would have been easier. Life would have been easier with, if I had married, if I had married her and, and I actually walked down that path and I got really emotional and thought that I would regret actually having gone back and done that relationship because the pain and suffering I've gone through and the brokenness and kind of coming to realization and, and actually accepting Christ and my wife kind of being a little bit of the catalyst of pushing me a little bit, I'm like, my goodness, how can I even think those thoughts? because I wanted something easier. I didn't want 
you know, someone questioning me or challenging me, and which my wife does all the time in a good way. And Hi, Tanya. <laughs> it, yeah. And and I thought, man, I feel guilty thinking this, but at the same time, I have no regrets of all the crap that I've gone through, we've gone through, she's gone through before we met in our relationship mm. with family. Like, and now I'm like, uh, this man going through all of the the shit is it's not a bad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thing and i've in christ like we talk about is difficult life and if you can continue just pursuing christ even though you have moments where you're like man i'm i gave up get back up like god's just like get back up and You've got this. Go. I'm with you. I'm behind you. Mm. I, I, will, I will run with you. I'll walk with you, whatever it takes. And that is the wow. redeeming part of living this life. It's so freaking hard, but it's there's so much joy and, and so much love to spread. And it isn't yours. It's God's, like, greatness. So... That's my, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm, I love mm-hmm. reading your book. I love your thoughts. It made me think a whole lot about life and family and, and just wow. this, this life that we're living. So thank you for, mm-hmm. for writing wow. this book. It made me reflect a whole lot. Wow. Wow. What a gift. I, that, that's the goal. That's the goal. Create conversation, help folks reflect, help folks see that uh, there's a God who thinks they're great. And, um, if, if you're going to look at Jesus, here's, here's the Jesus I found. And, um, you know, I, there's other ways to think about Jesus. I'm not the only one doing this, but hopefully, hopefully there's something here for you, you know? So, um, no, what a, what a gift. It's so good. And you, Kurt, as we wrap up, you, you lead Pangea church in Seattle Mm -hmm. and you strike me based on this conversation and the last one. I feel like we go, the three of us go to the same church in San Juan Capistrano and that, <laughs> okay. Okay. that pastor is, it's what's called a centered set approach. I know, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yep. Um, you Absolutely strike me do. as mm-hmm. kind of doing a version of that where you have, you've got conservatives and liberals theologically and also politically. And sometimes those things interchange and they're, uh, he's in Seattle. There's no conservatives. There's no conservatives, (laughs) (laughs) but I I get the feeling though. You, you've got a background, right? I do have the background. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the way your content is designed to bring people along that are conservative, that maybe, maybe little need a little nudge. And then it also accommodates sure. people that want a little bit more and feel like there's more to the story. And so if you're doing mm-hmm, that and you're mm-hmm. pastoring it all, like that's that's a tough job because you end up pissing off everybody at some point, not at the same time generally, but so I don't know. Well done. Yeah. Well done in that. Yeah. That's what you're no, doing. No, it's it's not easy. Yeah, man. No, it's it's that that's not easy, you know. Um, depending on ministry context, it it, it can be yeah, I mean, it can be hard. And it's not um, you know, some people might hear that reflection and I'm not hearing this, but I know others might and think, oh yeah, pastoring is about finding the radical middle. Right. Um, that's that, for me, that's not the path for me. It's what is, 
what is the best version of reality that I see so far? And sometimes that feels very lefty. And sometimes it's fairly traditional. I mean, I'm a pretty orthodox dude in the end, you know? So, so it's, uh, it's about um, kind of walking that road with people and saying, hey, look, we, we could have something that's common. We may, we may look at it a little differently, but, but we can have something in common that is so radical, so earth-shaking that if we walk this road with Jesus together, um, we're not going to look the same that we look now. My conservative Republican friend might be a little less conservative Republican. My liberal Democrat friend, same thing, whatever, whatever stereotypes you want to throw into the mix. And that should be really good news. Yeah. Because as, as people who follow Jesus, we should expect that it is life altering uh, news that we're receiving from Jesus. It is not just an adopted philosophy to go alongside these other ideologies we happen to hold. And so, so for me, um, let's pursue the center. The center is Jesus. We're going to continue to refine who we think Jesus is, but let's, let's keep looking at Jesus. And um, if we can do that together well, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for mutual, mutual growth and um, reflection and freedom and joy and hope. And I, I think that's what the world needs right now. So good. So good. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, well, I man, I got so many more notes. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I got more notes. Yeah, but yeah. I gotta go. The I, uh, where are we at? We're like two hours almost, aren't we? Yeah, yeah we're, we're in there. If you'll come back on, we'll have you back. I know last time you came on and you said, "Yeah, I'd love to come back on," because, uh, spoiler alert, I wanted you to correct scott's false eschatology <laughs> um, oh i remember yeah. yeah and then i just went mia from anything like i i went mia not just from you guys like i just like was MIA. i was like unavailable because i'm just immersed in my personal life to be honest yeah and i was like oh crap i'm a bad friend or whatever <laughs> so i'm glad we're back together <laughs> yeah um, i am too but <laughs> yeah you reached back out and i appreciate that so I'm, yeah, I'm sure yeah, we'll do this yeah. Again. You, I'd I'd be happy to come back. Honestly, yeah. Let's pick another evening and uh, let's do it. And in the near future, you just tell me what your calendars look like. I can I can swing it. Totally. So uh, let me know if that's something you guys want to do. Right on. And yeah. then next time, maybe we'll break out the bourbon. <laughs> there you go. I'll, I'll oh, bro. I'll, I'll have not like inconveniently decided to start Whole Thirty when that happens. Yeah, Andy <laughs> just started Whole Thirty diet today. Oh. It's a terrible. You to, let me a, tell you a story really quick. Terrible yeah, mistake. Do I've oh, made. dude, no, I feel you. <laughs> I, uh, my wife and I did whole. Th we've done it a few times. We did whole thirty starting January first. So we're done with whole thirty. But I used whole thirty to catalyze keto. So I'm now like in a couple of week, a week and a half or two into keto right now. Wow. And so I can sip bourbon because it's actually a low carb right drink. No beer for but, you. Um, no, it, it's hardcore. Good luck. How far into 30 are you right now? Uh, what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> He's 16 oh, hours no. Oh, no. I did it once. I did it once. Oh. Uh, actually, I did it in so for Sober October. Yeah. I did it for Sober October, and I felt great. I, uh -huh. I needed less sleep, and uh, the mental clarity was a surprise, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it does get... Yeah. And I, I, I gain and lose weight constantly. 
Okay. Like be, based on how sluggish or stupid I am. And so <laughs> for me, whole 30 was a good reset. I dropped like 12 pounds in a month. Like it was crazy. You don't look and like so I'm just guy, trying to keep that going yeah. with the keto. You don't look like a guy who has 12 pounds. I hide pounds it pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You may, how many I hide it pretty well. Yeah. How many sweatshirts are you wearing right now? <laughs> oh, so many sweatshirts. <laughs> are you, are you skating? You used to skateboard a lot. Are you still skating? What's that? You used to skateboard a lot, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. When I, I, when I can, yeah, you know, I've had, um, this is a way off subject, but I've had, I've had some back problems off and on throughout my life. And so, um, it depends on how that's doing. Uh, look like I might get back surgery, which is crazy oh to talk gosh. about. But anyway, um, long story short, when I can, I skate, I've, uh, started back in 2019. I, I hadn't skated for over a decade for the most part. And, Ooh. uh, yeah, I can catch my 360 flips and stuff. Dude, it's pretty nice. rad. So That's get, awesome. I'm, I'm, I know I'm not, I don't suck. <laughs> I'm not great either. There's all these little children that are amazing now. Yeah, of course. You, you quit a decade and all of a sudden the sport gets so much harder. It's insane, oh, but it's sure. fun. It's a good pastime for sure. All right. Last question. I don't remember if I asked you this the yep. first time and if I did, I don't remember the answer and maybe it's changed. But a question I like to mm. ask at the end is... You're walking into the always open gates of the New Jerusalem and you get to mm -hmm. pick a song to walk into and you get to pick a person living or dead to walk in with as you enter. It's like your hype music and your hype person. What is that? Going oh, into heaven. <laughs> I think it's that song. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Um, <laughs> DJ Khaled. <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> I love it. DJ Khaled. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, right at that point, the beat drops and I just start to creep in as the gates like creep open a little further. Um, and I'm in like a, like a robe, but like kind of a boxing style robe. So it almost looks like I'm a monk, but not. I've got the hood on, right? I'm in that in-between oh zone, a boxer monk. And I've got the Apostle Paul next to me doing the same thing. And we're just kind of mobbing in. Oh, so that, yeah. that's how I do it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's our first Apostle Paul reference. So well done. Also, our first all you all wow. I do is win That's DJ true. Khaled reference. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Kurt, oh my gosh, give us the details. Oh my gosh. Um, the book comes out what day? March sixteenth, right? March sixteenth. This will drop around that. We'll put it out right about launch. If that's cool with you, that mm -hmm. works, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So. I, um, yeah, I really appreciate it. And like I said, you guys want to do this, uh, more, let me know if there's still content you wanted to get to, but, um, either way, I'm just grateful to get to hang out with you guys. These yeah, seem fun. Yeah. I wish I, I was in LA right now or, or sorry, Orange County right now. And, uh, <laughs> Big hanging out no, uh, it's the OC. A, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I take offense to that. the OC. We don't even do OC. Nobody We're like, this is the OC. South yeah. OC. Yeah. Nobody yeah says it's the not just Orange County. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're not all one big bucket. It's South Orange County. Gosh. Oh uh, man. But oh, if, if Andy, when Andy gets back up <laughs> to Seattle and I find out that you guys are going to get a beer, I'm going to fly up there. Oh, I know. I will. I, I'll, bu I'll buzz Dude. you. Dude. I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up when I'm, when I'm heading back, which uh, I'm in, I'm in. Sounds good, man. I like it. All right. So theologycurator.com, Kurt Willems, is there any other details you want to drop that we can get out to the, to the masses? 
Uh, man, what are a couple of things? So I don't know if there's any pastors who listen, but uh, a secret project I'm working on right now is uh, creating a, a sermon series kit, like a whole resource for pastors who want to preach the content of Echoing Hope in kind of a seven-week format. Ooh, I like so it. including artwork, graphics, sermon ideas, like all that stuff. So that's kind of another thing going on that will be leaking here eventually. And uh, we got, um, yeah, you can find me on the socials. Kurt Willems, K-U-R-T-W-I-L-L-E-M-S is pretty much my name on anything that I'm on. So, yep. Right on. Thank Appreciate you. you, man. We'll do this again for sure. Hey, honestly, a huge honor, guys. And thanks for uh, having me on. And people who are listening don't know this, but the tech is so crazy. Like <laughs> there's like multi-cameras and it's, it's been rad. I've had fun. Uh, this is good. This is good. Uh, it's been incredibly stressful for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Thank well, you. Kurt. All right, guys. Hey, that's I'll up. let you get to it. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. And uh, hit me up and uh, yeah, let me know how I can help spread the word about this thing. We love right, it. Will do. Thanks, Thanks Kurt. Brother. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Later. Bye. All right. That was good. It's good stuff. Can I... Uh, yeah, we can keep rolling. How about yeah. I do this? All right. Feedback. Feedback. I love that jingle. Especially the dog. Was that Kurt's dog? Oh. <laughs> was that Kurt's dog? <laughs> Seriously, man. Oh, that was great. I love that. There was a few moments where I'm like... I could play the Scott role. I don't know. Oh yeah, I, I didn't have it in me. There tonight. was one moment. Sorry about yeah, that. Totally. You know, Scott would have pushed back a bunch, but we missed you, Scott. But that's your problem. You yeah. weren't here, so yeah. Since you weren't here, we said lots of things on your behalf. That and you, you know what? Did not represent. We what forgive you, you Scott. <laughs> we'll reconcile later. And we forgive you. Is that reconciliation even, is up to you? Is it even possible? I don't think Scott will reconcile. So guess what, guys. What? 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 You know that people can leave a voicemail at anchor.fm slash BBB pod. Dude, but nobody ever will. Voicemail. Voicemail. Yeah, that's never going to happen. Now it's time to listen to voicemail. Get out. Do we have one? We've no. got a voicemail. Oh, dude. No. All right. Did you leave it yourself? <laughs> I did, but I identified <laughs> Zach, as please. David Quaid Melton. Hello, friends. Uh, this is Quaid from Alabama. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I just wanted to, to send you a message and let you guys know that I, I really, truly appreciate uh, what you're doing with the podcast. I've been listening for a few years and have always enjoyed it uh, quite a bit, but over this last year, especially the last few months, uh, it has been more and more meaningful and nourishing to me. I feel like you guys are having the kind of conversations that need to be had, and I really, really appreciate uh, the different viewpoints that you all have, um, and also just the civil discourse that you engage in. Um, I grew up very, very traditional like Scott, uh, Mostly. moved very liberal at one point <laughs> like Zach, and now I'm somewhere in between all of that. Uh, dare you. I love you all. I yes. appreciate you all. Jeff, <laughs> Scott, Andy, Zach, uh, you're great, and keep up the good work, guys. Thank you. Dude, go Tide, <laughs> super fan. I love it. Wow, Thanks, Quaid. Yeah, that was you, definitely not you. It was not message. me. No, that was legit. 
Well, thank you so much. Oh, man. That we is got good. one. And so leave us a voicemail. It, it doesn't have to be all nice like that. If you got a thought, it if you got a critique, nice. I want to hear pushback. I know I'm, I'm off the reservation of most of Christianity. Because well, so you're a liberal. Push, <laughs> so he said very liberal. I'll be honest. When, it, when I first heard that, my first reaction was like, no, 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 I'm not a liberal. But I recognize that's like. Exactly what a liberal would say. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, your new name is Karen. <laughs> do, do, do. That's Jeff. Your face right now. <laughs> at brosbabblesbeer.com. You act like there's going to be a lawsuit over that. <laughs> Don't worry, your compression will. Take no, care of that. I know. I just saw but myself. But the liberal, liberal being a dirty word. And then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? And we're talking. We're not talking politically here. We're talking theologically. Oh, um, I guess that makes sense. Like, yeah, and I don't think that's a dirty word. I'm somebody oh, right. striving for truth, and I've changed. But I'm. I got an open palm. I'm trying to like hold those beliefs loosely as I use Dude, hand language where my palm is very open and a little bit creepy. Hold on loosely. You is were, that your walk-in song now? It, it totally. Might be. Sorry. Okay. I, and I said this. I said this. I responded the exact same way when we were uh, voxing. I said, "Karen," but it's the theological. It's the theological liberalism. Like you are far from conservative because I mean, one anybody who says I just don't know what's you know is solid ground, essentially. Well, that's not true. No, it is. I'm going to sum it up for myself instead of letting Jeff sum it up for me. That nothing solid for Zach. You it, question everything. If it is true, there's no truth that God is unending agape love. Then I believe I will end up being the most orthodox of all the people that could be orthodox. What on your last day on Earth? There you go. And by the way, in closing. You don't, the world doesn't get better through orthodoxy. If everything always remained status quo, you need the heterodox to push the boundaries and to test things, sometimes get it wrong. Maybe it results in you building a rocket that you shouldn't be in and you fly to your death, but you need the people that push boundaries to progress. There's your liberalism. Yep. That's okay. Are there homodocs? There might be. Well, there definitely is. I, I I know one. I mean, I go to one. Wait, what? I think. Wait, what? <laughs> we're, ta- we're talking about doctors now, right? <laughs> <laughs> nice exit. Uh, Out the back door goes Zach. Where's that, that go? Good. All right, where can people find us, Andy? Uh, they can find us on all of the podcast things. But if you listen to us on Spotify, we get a little bit more information because Spotify invades your privacy and shares the data with us, which is <laughs> oh my awesome. Gosh. Even though it only represents about 5% of our total total listenership, what I can tell you is we've got a spike. We've got more females than males yeah. that listen to us on Spotify, at least. Bring us that lady energy in the, the form ladies of just voicemail. Love men who are honest. And uh, I think we have a we uh, we have a spike in the demographics in like the twenty three to thirty range. So, um, yeah, that's that's the primary demographic. But if you want to find us, you can find us at Bros Bibles Beer. 
on all the socials, or you could email us brosbiblesbeer at gmail.com. Correct. Or you could do like Quaid did and leave us a voicemail. Hell yeah. He left us a nice one. How how great would a contrast be next week if we got a dirty one? Bring us your worst <laughs> efforts. Bring it. Yeah. If if we've pissed you off in any way, though that that's gonna be fun. And that's okay. Anchor.fm slash BBB pod. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Quaid. Thank you, Kurt Willems. And um, we were, thank you guys. Well, sh- should we skip what are we consuming tonight? Just for the just for this episode? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I was really looking forward to say how much pizza I'd been consuming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, it's been four yes. days. Which is why I have... Until Whole30. Do Whole30. <laughs> Andy realized the error of his ways, and he repented of his sin. That's how it works, people. It was pizza on Friday night, pizza, reheated pizza on Saturday afternoon, pizza on Saturday night, reheated pizza on Sunday afternoon, pizza Sunday night. That, okay, that's more pizza. That's more pizza. I we eat a lot of pizza. That is more pizza than any human should. Wait, you're not hungry consuming. now? I'm hungry. I'm now. actually hungry. I'm going to get pizza. Let's go get some. I can't eat